It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And since our last podcast two weeks ago, an icon of the sports world died, and we haven't had a chance to address it because I was on vacation. I'm referring to John Madden, the NFL coach, broadcaster, and in a sense, godfather of esports, who died on December 28th at the age of 85. I've heard many tributes over the past week refer to him as having a unanimous approval rating as a broadcaster. And I can tell you that that is not true. I had a roommate who hated Madden and got angry whenever Madden was on the call for a game he wanted to watch. Still, I would say Madden was the closest there was to a universally beloved NFL color analyst. And I generally enjoyed the team of Madden and Pat Summerall. But I have to get the John Brennan take. Uh, as you've noted, you share a birth year with the Wire Act. Uh, so you've seen a fair few sportscasters come across your TV set. Uh, how high on your list does Madden rank? Yeah, to me, Madden was the best because he was the most real. You know, I remember him on the Oakland Raiders coaching sidelines, wildly waving his arms at, well, everything. Um, he was wise to leave coaching at such a young age because his heart had to have been beating like a hummingbird during games. <laughs> I mean, that was not going to last. So, um, And I'll note, too, that unlike Brett Musburger, Al Michaels, Mike Tirico, and many others, uh, Madden didn't tease viewers with not-so-subtle references to the game's point spread or over under totals. I mean, that was kind of too cute by half for me with a lot of the other broadcasters. Uh, and and, uh, and John's longtime broadcast partner, Pat Summerall, I mean, he played 10 years in the NFL and he's a recovering alcoholic, but you never heard about the latter during a broadcast. And you rarely ever heard about the former either. You know, the common denominator was that the game was the thing for both of them. Yeah. And uh, one last note for those who missed the Madden special, it aired on, on Fox on Christmas Day. It, it's worth finding, you know, watching after he passed on, it just underscored that he and many of the guests all seemed to know that it was just about time to say goodbye on both ends, you know. So it was bittersweet, but ultimately it, it was uh, more sweet than bitter. Yeah, I count me among those who haven't watched that uh, yet, but I do intend to uh, check it out. Um, I I wasn't a huge fan of when Madden got super sticky. You know, all all the bits that Mm -hmm. people have recalled over the past week, the three Gatorade buckets, the turducken, etc. I didn't love that stuff. But in general, he did make a football game more enjoyable to watch, especially compared to some of his contemporaries like Dan Deardorff, Phil Simms, etc. There were a lot of guys around the same time I couldn't stand, and I I did like Madden. Um, In terms of approval, 
approval rating. Um, I would say Vin Scully is probably the closest in national sports broadcasting figures to actual 100% approval. Um, there are also, you know, local guys uh, like here in Philly. Uh, Merrill Reese is probably polling at 99.9% or something. But Madden was was certainly up there. Um, but, I, you know, for the generation starting with mine and all those thereafter, really the video game will be the biggest part of his legacy. Um, I was only half joking when I called him a, a godfather of esports. His name is certainly the most famous name connected with competitive video gaming. Um, now, now here's a question where I think I'll take the under. Has John Brennan ever played a full game of any version of Madden football? I'm, I'm going under 0.5 games played, uh, though, though you might surprise me. I've never seen a screen of John Madden. <laughs> wow. Okay. Way under. Okay. <laughs> I'm familiar. That I'm, I understand it's a very popular game. I do understand that part. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so you want to have... be on the cover of it. That's a big deal. <laughs> I don't know if you do. The Madden curse. Uh, I don't know oh. if it's still in effect, but uh, it was like the SI curse. There was a little while there where if you were on the cover, bad things were going to happen to you the next season. Well, there, there's a, now a People magazine curse because they, they just had an oh, issue right. last week, I think, with, with Betty White on the cover celebrating her 100th birthday, uh, which would have happened on January 17th, I believe. Right. And yeah, that didn't age well, as they say. Is there a Fox documentary curse that we can now attach to John Madden? I mean, the timing there was a little uh, No, like I said, if you watch well. it, you realize that everybody knew where this was going and it right. was going there very soon. So let's... Let's exit stage left gracefully. And, and uh, that's I've never seen anything like that before, but I think it was I think I thought it was nice. Right. OK, I will definitely uh, check that out soon. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 175 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 174 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other podcast apps. Keep those five star ratings coming so that we like the John Madden estate can brag about our approval rating. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by former Roto Grinders COO Cam McMillan, recently sold his stake in the company that he co-founded in 2010. We have Cam's reflections on his 12 years with RG, which, full disclosure, we share a parent company with, and his thoughts on the current state of the industry and what the future holds, too. But first, it's been a not-so-busy week, actually two weeks since our last podcast, in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first podcast news story of the year will simply be the first of about 20 Gamble On news stories this year that focus on sports betting revenue reports. Specifically, the subject is the very delayed release of the first two months of numbers out of Arizona, September and October. Uh, the handle was $291 million in September and $486 million in October for a combined, very lucky sounding, $777 million. Uh, the September handle made for the highest debut month of any of the six states that launched sports betting in 2021, and the October number ranked seventh among the 24 legal betting states that month. September's gross revenue was $31.6 million, though very little of that went to the state via taxes because the books gave so much money back to bettors in the form of promotional credits. In October, the gross revenue was similar, $36.3 million, but this time Arizona collected just over a million dollars in taxes. In the sportsbook handle rankings in the state, it's been DraftKings first, FanDuel second, BetMGM third, and Caesars fourth. John, any thoughts on Arizona's first two months of numbers or on the Department of Gaming's tardiness in providing them? 
I, I just can't imagine working at a department where stuff doesn't get done efficiently. You know, I'm looking at you, Arizona and Illinois regulators, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, you know, I've been looking at monthly reports from New Jersey, for example, for more than a decade. And the number of times a report came out late is once, about a year ago. And that was like three, four hours late, some kind of technical glitch. I think I can live with that. <laughs> you know, the, the paltry revenue numbers are a national theme in some respects, obviously. You know, you and I, Eric, are each uh, sitting on hundreds of dollars worth of house money from somewhat absurd promotions that basically guarantee us wins. You know, I hope no sports book officials are listening. Okay, wait, I know some of them are, but in this modern age, you'd think there would be an algorithm that stops giving incentives to small-time gamblers like us who will never, ever give all that money back. Wait, come to think of it, I, I can't remember when the last silly promotion was from an already established book. Damn, do they catch on? <laughs> they might be, yeah. It feels like, uh, I guess there were maybe one or two kind of easy money giveaways at the very beginning of football season, and I haven't seen uh, much of anything since then. Some odds boosts, but those aren't the same as, as free money. Um, now, I, I noted that Arizona had the highest debut month of any debuting state in 2021, but that warrants a few asterisks and clarifications. Uh, Arizona is a much bigger state than some of the others, like South Dakota and Wyoming, and it launched in September, a football month, uh, and it got in almost a full month. Launch was September 9th, I believe, whereas Virginia launched on January 21st, uh, so their first month doesn't quite compare. So just a little context there before we label Arizona's debut historic or, or something. Um, I'll also note that uh, our, our colleague Mike Seeley wrote an interesting article on U.S. Bets this week about whether people who live in Nevada were crossing the border to Arizona to bet because Nevada requires in-person registration for mobile. Um, but it appears the numbers here are very small, as you might expect, because even if the in-person registration requirement is a negative for Nevada's betting numbers, it's not the same as living in a state without legal mobile betting and uh, you know having that really strong need to drive across the border to place bets. Plus, there's not a big population living near that border. It ain't Manhattanites being a bridge crossing away from Jersey. Um, but still, I found it an interesting topic for Mike to explore. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember with uh, GeoComply, which does the uh, uh, geofencing, they call it, where they know exactly what state you're in. So you don't violate any federal laws like, you know, the Wire Act. Uh, and they found that, yeah, Nevada, uh, California, you know, any any border with Nevada really is uh, is not a big deal. And New Jersey was actually the most challenging one of all. Like 85 percent of the population of uh, New Jersey lives you know, somewhat near Philadelphia or New York City. So right. uh, it's easy to uh, to come and go. And more importantly, uh, so many people live in Philadelphia, New York City, who would try and get into New Jersey and, and steal a bet. So uh, they had their work cut out for them in New Jersey. But in a way, it's good to have the toughest one first, right? So then uh, the new state comes along and you're like, oh, we got that one border there, a little bit of an issue, but it's nothing compared to the population of New York City and Philadelphia trying to get in on New Jersey before Pennsylvania had gotten in the game and now New York will uh, in coming weeks. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to our second story. Uh, it's funny. We're uh, I, I think people might accuse us at times of being an East Coast biased podcast. Uh, and uh, there we go at the end of a discussion about Arizona tying uh, our Jersey and Philadelphia <laughs> and New York and all that into it. Um, we did start, though, on the West Coast with Arizona there. And uh, we'll try not to be too East Coast biased as we move to the Mid-South with Mississippi news for our second item. Uh, the Magnolia State, one of the first to legalize retail sports 
sports betting in 2018, is finally taking serious steps toward adding mobile wagering. A lawmaker in the Mississippi House of Representatives introduced a bill on Monday to allow mobile bets, possibly a reaction to neighboring Louisiana being in a position to siphon some tax dollars when it launches mobile betting sometime in the next few weeks. The Mississippi bill sets a timeline for online betting to possibly begin as early as July 1st if the bill passes. It would include a tethering provision where online books would need to be partnered with brick and mortar casinos in the state. John, any opinions on whether this will get done and get done quickly in Mississippi? I'm going to say yes. And for the exact Louisiana reason that you note, you know, state lawmakers are competitive and they don't want a neighboring state stealing their lunch. Well, I I would have mentioned not all lawmakers since Pennsylvania didn't have a casino until 2006, giving New Jersey a 28 year head start. But that would be East Coast bias. So right. I strike that from the record. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, the one caveat I have here, though, is that the Mississippi voting session ends in April. Um, so this could be overrun by debate and a lot of bills about, frankly, a lot more important issues than whether you have mobile wagering in, in Mississippi. Yeah, that's true. Um, So we've talked a lot over the years about how in some states you need to legalize incrementally, um, you know, get retail betting over the line, let people get used to that and then do mobile betting. And of course, there's the New Jersey example you've used many times of them banning betting on in-state college games just to get something passed. And then you can try to overturn that ban later. Hasn't happened yet, probably will eventually. Um, Mississippi is both a testament to the do it in stages approach and also kind of a sad example of how slowly it happens sometimes. I mean, three and a half years of retail betting without mobile betting while lots of Mississippians keep using their offshore accounts. That's a long time, but of course, you know, better late than never. And uh, this region has been uh, slow to fill in, but it's happening. Once uh, Louisiana starts mobile, That'll be two of the four Mississippi border states that have it, the other being Tennessee. And Arkansas, like Mississippi, has retail and might add mobile before too long. And uh, then the pressure will grow on Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri. That part of the country is slowly but surely filling in. And the odd part is that I understand the sentiment originally, you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, which was we don't want to screw the casinos that spend hundreds of millions of dollars, right, uh, on infrastructure. And they have a lot of thousands of jobs in this in the state. Good for the economy and all that. We don't want to stick it to them by letting anybody have mobile gaming. I get that. There are certain states I won't name uh, for obvious reasons that um, already figured that out. You have to partner with a, a brick and mortar casino in order to get to mobile wagering. So that. That was the solution for them there. They didn't get it then. They are understanding it now, but you're right. They're kind of slow. And uh, it's just weird to me, too, because Mississippi in the early 90s with the Riverboat Casinos, they were very early in the uh, uh, legal casino game. So the state sort of uh, culture is such that they're much more uh, receptive to gambling than almost any state in the South. So uh, I'm not surprised that they were one of the first to legalize sports betting, but I am surprised that they're so sluggish, like you say, with, with this version, which is in some states, 90% of the action anyway. Yep. All right. Our final news item will be fairly broad as we have a discussion about everything that's been happening the past two weeks with the Omicron COVID variant and its impact on sports and sports betting. The transmissibility blows away all previous variants. Um, The health impact, especially on those vaccinated and boosted, has proven mild, you know, in most cases. There are certainly exceptions. Um, In short, much of American society has reached an attitude of 
everyone is going to get this virus and sports leagues are reacting in a variety of ways. The NHL paused all games briefly with numerous teams unable to put a full roster on the ice. The NBA postponed some games and has seen some retired players temporarily return to the league to fill out rosters. Uh, The NFL pushed a few games back by a couple of days and dramatically changed its rules, shortening the quarantine time and allowing both vaccinated and unvaccinated players to get back on the field more quickly. And the tennis world now has itself a big COVID controversy as the Australian Open, which starts in less than two weeks, established a vaccine mandate for players, then granted defending men's champion Novak Djokovic an exemption, but he was denied entry into the country because of a mix-up with his visa application. Uh, All of these COVID issues have affected sports betting, with lines moving suddenly and substantially, games getting pulled off the board and value opening up or disappearing, depending on the situation. John, your thoughts on how the sports world has been handling this surge in the virus, and how frustrating are you finding it as a casual sports better? You know, Eric, my first thought was that uh, all this has wreaked havoc on your fast five NFL picks, but now I'm really, wait a minute, there seems to be a correlation between (laughs) countless players disappearing randomly at the last minute and your rebound. You know, it reminds me of how underdogs love a muddy field, right? Because it takes away a lot of the skills advantage of the favorite. Oh, okay, I see. Might be going your way there. Uh, But now big picture that you mentioned. Um, Look, nobody has seemed to want to admit that even with the more lethal uh, Delta variant, professional athletes in their 20s and 30s are not at a major risk of serious illness from COVID. They're just not. I mean, there's the argument of protecting their elderly loved ones, which is nice. But look, pro athletes don't live among eight family members in a two-bedroom apartment either. There is quite literally breathing room in their homes. So, you know, we've been stuck with this damn thing for almost two years now, and we would have learned a little bit about, you know, new tricks on how to cope. As for gambling, this becomes just another avenue for a sharp to exploit, right? Very much like an injury. If you get wind of a pending player absence right before the bookmakers do, you come out ahead. And for more casual players, you know, maybe just wait until about a half hour before the game. Make sure you know who's sitting and who's not for each team, and then you bet accordingly. Yep, and that's exactly what most bettors seem to be doing. The the most significant betting impact uh, based on you know what bookmakers have told our, our writers and stuff is that people are placing fewer early bets and they're waiting until almost game time to get bets in, which it actually does take away one of the sharp bettors' edges, which is taking advantage of an early line that they think is soft and is likely to move you get more opportunities to middle these games now, but it's hard to see those opportunities coming. Um, but certainly, like you said, it's all, it, if you can get information the split second before the, uh, the books adjust to it and react to it, uh, you can find some opportunities. Um, I have to applaud the NFL for its flexibility. Uh, you know, these were our rules. They made sense during Delta, but Omicron is different. Everyone is a close contact of someone who has it at this point. Uh, Either we have no games at all or we accept a greater risk of our players spreading it with high confidence that those who took the simple step of getting vaccinated and boosted are at a one in 100,000 or so chance of serious health risk. Um, I think the NFL's attitude is representative of the shifting attitudes for most We're all going to get it. Uh, We should be cautious and smart to a point, but we also have to live our lives and accept some risk of exposure. You know, there are no easy answers to any of this, um, but we do assume some risk in everything we do. You know, we decide it's worth the risk every day to get in a car. But as long as you're getting in a car, you know, don't drive around at night with your headlights turned off. Uh, that, that, that would be sort of my uh, s- slight stretch of, a, of an analogy there. Um, anyway, the Djokovic thing, 
is fascinating from a betting perspective. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna weigh in on the, on the vaccine mandates or or his anti-vax position or any of that. But just in terms of betting, uh, when I heard he got the exemption, uh, I was thinking about betting on him at plus one forty to win the tournament, thinking he's the kind of semi-sociopath, uh, you know, with that Michael Jordan-esque killer instinct yeah. who feeds off a crowd booing him. He can win this thing despite all the distractions. But then when he was denied entry, I quickly looked to see if I could get on someone else who had odds that were based on Djokovic being in the field and I could get good value, but I was too slow and the sports books had, had all taken everything down. Um, so this, this is one where a little inside information could go a long way. I think uh, right after we finish podcasting, I'm going to be calling my various contacts in Australian <laughs> Homeland Security. <laughs> yeah, good idea. I will say I middled the uh, the Eagles game on Sunday, which okay. uh, definitely checked something off the bucket list. Which is uh, <laughs> hear about it like the three, and you had mentioned it last week or last time. You know, the three or four point spread mm-hmm. uh, is an opportunity, and uh, I liked it on both sides. And then, uh, sure enough, the Eagles snuck in that final touchdown. And I got that one. That's so that was exciting. that was your first successful middle where you both won both uh, ends. Definitely, yeah. yeah right. I, I, you know, it, it's like the roommate switch. It's uh, often <laughs> been attempted but never achieved. Right. Yeah, I, I got it there. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Long before John and I came to work for U.S. Bets, uh, long before there was a U.S. Bets, in fact, I became familiar with Roto Grinders as the place to turn to before building any DFS lineup. Cameron McMillan was one of the three men who founded Roto Grinders back in 2010, and as of this past weekend, he has sold his stake in the company, is no longer COO, and is moving on to new career adventures. And he joins us now to reflect on his decade plus with Roto Grinders and to share his thoughts on the sports betting and DFS landscape. Cam, welcome to Gamble On. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. So take me back to 2010 when you, Cal Spears, and Riley Bryant started Roto Grinders. What sort of expectations did you have for the company at the time? And Looking back almost a dozen years later, what would the 2010 cam have the hardest time believing about the way it unfolded? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. So I'll, I'll speak from my perspective, uh, which was at, at that point, I was in the graduate program for entrepreneurship at the University of Florida. Um, I had met Cal and Riley and Adam Small, uh, Cal Spears, Riley, Brian and Adam Small, uh, through Pocket Fives, an online poker site uh, and community, which some may be familiar with, very similar to Roto Grinders uh, at at the time. And I was a big poker player. I, I self-described say I was paying my way through college. I had a scholarship, but I was you know making money for the bar bar beer bills and <laughs> the cheap rent back in at that time um, playing poker. Um, so I got to know them through Pocket Fives. Uh, my mindset at the time was I'm young enough to uh don't have a mortgage wife kids that i can go all in working crazy hours doing startup mode on companies i'm passionate about um that led me to start two companies when i graduated one that helped uh, villages in africa through charitable gaming called raise a village and then on the total opposite end of the spectrum uh, uh sports betting and uh daily fantasy sports at the time Cal was the one who had the, um, you know, idea for the company. Um, we were working on, I had 
kind of they hit Riley and Cal started a season long fantasy sports site. That's when I really got to know them closely. I started kind of working for the site for free just because I was, um, I was building projection models for fantasy sports at the time when people weren't really doing that back then. They weren't that good, but I was, I was like, they were there. So uh, we, we, um, we got to know them through that site. I think FanDuel launched was, they were the second site that launched after fantasy sports live. And that's kind of when Cal had the idea, let's get ahead of this industry and build kind of like the pocket fives for rotor grinders. Um, flew up to Nashville, had that discussion in person. And in 2010, July, 2010, Riley pushed the website live. So that, that was kind of how the origins started. Okay. And then the part just sort of looking back uh, a dozen years later, what's sort of like the thing about the way that Roto Grinders and the industry went that maybe you at the time would never have imagined? So I'm big on long-term goal setting and big picture. I, you know, I, anything I do, I, I do with reason. I remember telling my wife, I, I, I think this could be, you know, be a, a $10 million company, uh, uh, make uh, somewhere in that range. And this is in 2010 pre-inflation. Um, and uh, I think it'll be about a three to five year project if we move to Nashville and go all in on it. Um, so that's kind of what, where, you know, I, obviously setting any terms of projection on a, such a like high variance project that has so many possible paths it could go is a really dumb thing. Like, but that's, I haven't really told anyone that it's kind of like, you know, internally where I, I described it for my wife. Um, but the, it, it just really exceeded expectations. Uh, I think it became clear in 2015, 2016, when DraftKings was spending more money than uh, Geico some weeks on commercials. I think that's when we're like, Oh crap, like, this is, this is going to be a much bigger company than just an online online community site. Uh, yeah, Cam, you mentioned that uh, kind of maybe a turning point in 2015, but I've never heard of a successful small business that, you know, their revenues grow, you know, 8.2% a year or whatever. There's always, <laughs> you know, a little bit of downturn uh, and then uh, a, a leap forward, a quantum leap forward. So, you know, if you look at 2011, 12, 13, 14, how, how well were you doing compared to like your, your internal goals? Were you, were you at it? Were you a little behind it? And then was there anything else after 2015 that, uh, was a turning point that made the company that much bigger. I think it was around two years. I worked with without pay, essentially. Um, there might've been a couple early draws we did occasionally to, to keep me fed. Um, but the, um, uh, I think the first time I remember it getting some momentum was, a. And it sounds small at the time, but Draft Street sending a, like a $7,000 affiliate um, check. And at the time Draft Street was, uh, I think it was like 1A, 1B with FanDuel. Uh, Draft Street was subsequently acquired by DraftKings, uh, some great founding team there that went to become employees at DraftKings and start other ventures. But um, that's what I, I was traveling in California at the time and remember being like, okay, we're, we're starting to make some money here. And that was around probably 2012, uh, around two to three years after. Um, and then it just kept going up after that. I think we grew at a four to 500% rate really consistently to your question's point for like year over year was very consistent four to 500%. And we, our profit margins were really wow. good just being an online um, website and not having a ton of employees that our accountants were kind of laughing at the profit margins at one point. Um, 2015 <laughs> is when the 
spend of DraftKings emerge when DraftKings emerged and they just, you know, they went gangbusters in terms of VC, what they how much funding they raised, how much money they spent, and that forced FanDuel to keep up, as everyone knows, and um, it became a little bit of a spending advertising war, uh, and that was just good for everyone involved. Uh, continued to grow 2015 and 16, about at that same same four to five hundred percent rate until the uh, regulation issues occurred in 2016 and 17. Uh, most prominently known by the. New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, who I'll take this opportunity to remind people has out of office. Uh, I believe he had some <laughs> very terrible Me Too issues, but he he attacked the industry with a very strong stance against it. Um, that didn't, you know, at the time it felt like a huge issue. Uh, it really did. Business slowed. That was the first year business um, had a, a decline of any sort, and it wasn't just New York; it was other states as well. But fast forward a few years, through lobbying efforts of DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, battled we as an industry battled through those. A uh, lot of regulations and legality occurred, and now we're you know a sports betting is legal and whatever how many states it is now. So it's, it's 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 it looks small looking back at it. It felt like a major deal at the time. Well, that's a that's a perfect lead into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is that sports betting legalization has been spreading so quickly these last three years, and it came to the state that that you live in, Tennessee, and it it temporarily came to Florida, where I understand you'll be uh, soon moving. Um, what impact has legal sports betting had on DFS? Uh, good, bad, indifferent? What's what's the impact been? Short answer is it's it's too soon to say. Um, Roto Grinders had its its best financial year in uh, 2021. So daily fantasy is still here. It is still healthy. Um, DraftKings last week for the it's kind of like the final NFL week because this week gets a little kooky with players sitting out. But there was a 4.5 million dollar contest and a three million dollar contest. I think it was you know it was definitely over 10 million in prizes just for that week. So we're not seeing um, so far any decline in prize pools or revenue or anything like that. Long-term it, it, it's hard to say um, there's definitely this, this newer generation, younger generation of, that, it, that prefer the competition behind peer to peer gambling. And um, you know, that's the bull argument on why daily fantasy won't, won't go away. It is, it is very different than uh, sports betting in a lot of ways. What, what about you personally and, and your preferences as a player? Is it more, uh, are, are you playing DFS any less since sports betting has, has come along or have you, have you shifted your personal habits at all? Um, not because of sports betting. I think when I started to get financial, more financially stable, I slowed down and that's, mm. The situation was more just sheer hours. I was working so much on work itself, if you will, that when what it takes to be a good player, and I was profitable as a player for seven years straight, and I haven't been uh, the last couple of years because I've been playing more casually and for fun, but it takes late nights, Friday night. I mean, there's a couple Saturday nights I didn't sleep getting lineups ready in the early days. So I was over the all nighters and the hard, hard work. Um, so I play cas- more casually and for, for fun these days, not really because of sports betting. I have both apps and I think I'll continue to do both. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cam about 20 years ago, I was, you know, pushing 40 myself and I'd covered the NBA for about 10 years. And 
I, I felt mm-hmm. kind of restless. Like a, there was, I needed to do something else. And you know, a lot of people said, what are you, that's your dream job. Why don't you just do that forever? And I couldn't put my finger on it. And then a couple of years later, the New Jersey devils, devils were sold to an investment banker named Jeff Vanderbeek. And mm-hmm. he was at Lehman brothers, ironically. So what he said was <laughs> uh, that, you know, in 10 years, he was number three in 10 years, he'd be number two, five years after that, he'd be number one. And five years after that, he'd retire. And he's like, I felt like it, it, it was already done. I'm already, I'm retired already. It all happened. I know, I know exactly what that's going to be. And then, so that's kind of, I guess, how I felt. But he switched from investment banker to hockey team owner. You know, I went from covering sports on the road to covering sports business in the news department. So there was still a, somewhat of a link there, basically covering billionaires instead of millionaires, but still <laughs> a little similar. And even when I came to U.S. Bets in 2018 to cover the expansion of uh, legal gambling in the United States, still there's obviously a large sports element to it. So while I've gotten restless and looked to go on new paths, uh, I haven't gone too far from, from the origin. But you mentioned your Africa work early on and then this. So do you feel like either you know, your next ventures are definitely going to be sports related, definitely not going to be sports related, or, you know, you've got enough time to do, you know, all the above, I suppose. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. Um, I, I was talking to one of our, uh, one of our employees who I'm friends with was asking, and I described it to him as I'm definitely taking time off and, uh, you know, somewhere in the total 18 months, just for health, family, get my mind, body, spirit, where it needs mm-hmm. to be. Um, and, and in that, whatever it is, 12 to 18 months, the last 12 to 18 months, I don't even think anyone knew what NFTs were. So I, it's, now it's this multi-billion dollar industry and it's almost more popular than daily fantasy, if not. So it's like, it's kind of, it would be kind of foolish with how quick tech moves to make any uh, proclamations at this point. But from a personality standpoint, I like to, there's certain thing, there's certain projects like, you know, golf, for example, that I'll continue to do consistently my whole life. But from a business standpoint, I like to kind of master different areas and move on. And I'm totally okay with that. Like it's, uh, so yeah, I have have interest in charitable projects in Africa, um, you know, big billion dollar ideas, smaller ideas, just all over the place, kind of wait as Richard Branson says, business opportunities are like buses. There's always another one coming. So it's really just about focus. And um, I'll always play sports, be a sports fan and sports betting. But I feel like my course is run in terms of a, being an entrepreneur in the uh, daily fantasy industry and where sports betting could be a year and a half from now. Like, who knows? It's growing so rapid. I would I would not have guessed we'd be having this many states legal two years ago. So who knows where things are going to be two years from now. All right. Well, uh, we hope you uh, enjoy that time. You're going to spend uh, figuring things out a little bit of downtime <laughs> and we, uh, we wish you the, the very best of luck with whatever new endeavors follow. Uh, and uh, we know that you'll be uh, around a while longer as an advisor to Roto Grinders and Better Collective US uh, in the meantime, but uh, congratulations on everything you built at, uh, at RG and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Love the podcast. Uh, hope to see you at a party at some point again in the future. It's, COVID's right. made it like two to three years now, but we'll see face to face again in the future. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Thanks, Cam. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We'll get to the final Fast Five of the regular season shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. Uh, Remember, the last time we made bets was two weeks ago, so some of these results feel like ancient history, Uh, but not yours, John, because you made early bets on the college football championship semifinal games, and your new strategy of betting one game bigger than the other paid off for us again, as you put $165 on Alabama to cover against Cincinnati and $110 on Michigan to cover against Georgia. You went one and one, but we come out $40 ahead. And listeners will recall, I did a little experiment betting $25 a piece on seven NFL Moneyline underdogs in week 16. The good news is three out of seven won. That's the win rate I was hoping for. The bad news is none of them were big underdogs. They were the shortest, second shortest, and fourth shortest dogs that I had. Still, thanks to wins by the Titans, Bears, and Dolphins, we turned $175 into $216 a $41 total profit. That means we gained $81 since our last podcast. So we're now down by $1,473 and we still have $1,360 on hold in futures bets. Although much of that is in NFL bets that have been decided. We'll just wait one more week to grade them. The only two remaining that we're sweating at all in week 18 are the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so we're uh, we're pulling for them to win this week and get into the playoffs. So we have a teeny tiny chance. Um, and this is an extreme long shot, but it isn't officially dead. We need Trevor Lawrence to score two touchdowns rushing or receiving this week. Um, in any case, we'll update all our NFL season long bets next week. For now, we have $7,167 available to bet with. And I'm up first. And in these waning days of the Ben Roethlisberger era in Pittsburgh, I've noticed a trend. Uh, Before doing any research, I just had sensed a general tendency for this team to start slow and then come on in the second half of games. So I looked it up through the first nine games, ending with that awful Mason Rudolph-led tie against the Lions. They were two, six, and one in second halves. Since then, in the past seven games, they're five and two in the second half. Uh, The second half money line for this Sunday's game against the Ravens, which both teams should be trying to win. You know, they're both clinging to very faint playoff hopes. Uh, The Steelers are as high as plus 150 on the money line in the second half. I love that price. It's, It's Big Ben's final game. They've proven to be a second half team. And this is the worst defense the Ravens have had in years. Any plus money sounds good to me. Uh, So let's bet $100 to win $150 on the Steelers to outscore the Ravens in the second half. I should note, if it's a tie, if they each score, say, 14 points in the second half, the bet loses. It doesn't push. Uh, So the Steelers need to actually score more points than Baltimore in the second half to win the bet. Okay. Uh, yeah. So every rationale I had for why Alabama would win and cover against Cincinnati worked like a charm. Then I took that same logic and tossed it out the window and bet Michigan <laughs> with a hook. <laughs> a terrible play. That's uh, dreadful. That that to me is easy money. It was easy money for sharps, SEC and all that. I mean, it was all there for the taking, and I took it and then I gave it away. Uh, now I'm tempted to try Georgia Alabama, but. You know, I see too many possible scenarios to pin down whether I want Georgia minus three or Alabama plus three. But in most of those scenarios, I see it going over. So I found 52 points on DraftKings at just 105 to win 100. So let's try that. Okay, I like that. Um, For my second bet, I'm going with my favorite NFL futures bet that's out there right now. If the Titans beat the Texans this Sunday, they will be the top seed in the AFC. That means a bye week. And then they just need to win two home games to get to the Super Bowl. They will be getting Derrick Henry back for the playoffs. I'm not sure if he's 100%, but he seems to be moving well in clips from practice. 
I think we can agree there's no dominant team in the AFC this year. The Chiefs are good. The Bills are good. The Bengals have a high ceiling when it's all clicking, but nobody is great. Uh, to my eyes, the Titans with Derrick Henry are no worse than 50-50 at home against any of these teams. So if they get that top seed, they should be about plus 300, uh, you know, a one in four chance of winning the AFC. BetMGM still has them all the way up at plus 500. Admittedly, if they lose to the Texans this week, then plus 500 to win three games, including a road game or two, that's not a good price. But if they lock up that top seed, it's a great price that I think is inflated because the Chiefs are, in my view, incorrectly perceived as being a level above everyone else. So anyway, I think this is a great value on the Titans. Let's bet $60 on them at plus 500 to win $300 if they get to the Super Bowl. All right. I like that. Um, now the PGA tours lengthy off season lasted about three weeks. Uh, it's finally over Eric. So that's good news for all of us. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and we kick off with the tournament of champions in Hawaii, which is a 38 player field and missing only Rory McIlroy. among the sports, most elite names, the scenery is spectacular. And for those suffering through these awful winter, winter storms this week, flip this on and let your mind wander a little bit as uh, this one goes on prime time on the East coast on Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, this is a bomber's paradise and it helps a lot to have played in this event before. I love where John Rom's head seems to be these days after a long rest following an excellent but weird year. So I take him at 100 for plus 140 to finish top five at BetMGM. And with them, a tie for fifth still is a full payout, which is why I like liked my chances there. Uh, and Rom has a good track record here. Uh, also, yes, he makes an eagle in round one on Thursday at 50 units and plus 400. Uh, there are five par fives here, oddly enough. Okay, so two bets on John Rahm. And yeah. we finished the show with the Fast Five, where over the past two weeks, John clinched this year's title, but he's actually been on a downturn, whereas I'm finally getting good results long after I had anything to play for other than whatever's left of my pride and dignity. Um, I'll get mine out of the way first, since I'm not playing for much entering week 18. I went four and one each of the last two weeks. I hope that our listeners picked the right time to stop fading my picks. Uh, so I'm now 35 and 50, which is still atrocious, but I'm not quite making history anymore with a 41.2% win rate. Uh, meanwhile, John has a real personal pride sweat on his hands. He went one and four in week 16 and two and three in week 17 to slip to 43, 41 and one. So his hopes to finish over 500 and to be profitable against a standard VIG are both on the line this week. Uh, but before he gets to close it out with those all important picks, I go first with my less meaningful five selections. I actually had eight games that I liked here. Uh, wasn't easy to pare it down to my five favorites, but I'll start with the Vikings minus three and a half points at home against the Bears. Uh, Kirk Cousins will be back. Justin Fields will start for the Bears. They had their little two-game winning streak behind Foles and Dalton against soft opposition. The Vikings are a demonstrably better team here, and they're at home. I don't mind being on the wrong side of the hook at three and a half. Uh, next up, I don't love backing the Panthers under any circumstances. But I have to this week. They're getting eight points against a Bucks team that is very shorthanded, can't get to the top seed, might rest some guys. They'll be trying to win, but getting out of this healthy is the top priority for them. And the Panthers are a little less awful with Sam Darnold than with Cam Newton. So I think they can cover the eight points. Now, probably the easiest pick of the week is the Washington football team, soon to be the Washington Groundhogs. Um, I'm kidding, I think. 
I don't know. Um, they're uh, they're favored by seven in New York against the Giants, but this is just a total mismatch. A competent team against a team that, other than Jacksonville, has been the worst in the NFL over the past month or so. Give me the team minus seven. Uh, next, in keeping with my bet on the Steelers to win the second half, I'll take them plus five and a half points in Baltimore. This spread seems about three points too high for a game that both teams will be trying to win. And lastly, not the most meaningful game this week. That would be Chargers Raiders, but the second most meaningful 49ers at Rams. The Niners are playing to clinch a playoff spot and are in trouble if they lose. The Rams are playing to clinch the NFC West and get a home game. So while you could argue the Niners are more motivated, I just don't think Trey Lance is ready for a big game against a tough defense. And if they trot out Garoppolo, I have my doubts about how well he can play with the thumb injury. I think the matchup really favors the Rams right now. They're favored by four and a half. I think they'll cover that. All right. And uh, I was staring down the barrel of a four and one week last week at a couple of cruel flips in a late window. So, I mean, talk about a difference instead of being at a barely profitable 53.5% and being a four and one finale away from 55%, which is really strong. And, you know, would, would go well with my 59% from two years ago. Now four and one only gets me to 52.7% and I'm winning pennies on the year, even after my fourth strong first half in four years. So pretty frustrating. So I wearily close out with these, with the phrase, who cares in my head. And that's only <laughs> partly on this being the week where identifying which teams do care uh, still means a ton yeah i think the jets care and while their opponents the bills have to win and to ensure the afc east title i think the jets plus 16 and see if the bills call off the dogs in the fourth quarter if it's not a tight game uh jets have beaten division winners the Bengals and titans and had the buccaneers on sunday also and told tom brady used that vulcan mind meld he has on the jets to trick them the coaches into a stupid decision inside the two minute mark uh, that would have been three more wins this year over winning teams than, for example, the playoff bound Eagles have. So uh, that said, I'll take those Eagles plus seven and a half on Saturday night versus the Cowboys who can't get the NFC by. So this is kind of a who cares game for them. Um, I think both teams are fairly aimless. And so I get more than a touchdown. I like the chances there. However, the Chiefs minus ten and a half at Broncos on, also on Saturday night. The Chiefs strangely let last week's game versus the Bengals get away, but they won't let their foot off the gas this time against the toothless Broncos. Now, it looks like no Joe Burrow or Baker Mayfield, so I'll try Bengals also, plus six and a half at Browns. The Bengals were the only team all year that I had not uh, bet on, so I'll, I'll rectify that in the final week. And finally, I like the Giants plus seven against their division rivals, the Admirals. Sorry, that was a spoiler alert. I shouldn't have given that away. Yes, uh, uh, your Groundhog note refers to the February 2nd announcement, and it's going to be the Admirals. Uh, so, sorry. I guess if you could find that line somewhere, you might want to uh, lock up some easy money because uh, that's, that's a lock. Uh, this game starts out as a scoreless tie and might even end that way. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so we're head-to-head on what I thought was the easiest pick of the week. Uh, I, I, my track record over the season as a whole, you should feel good about going head-to-head against me. My track track record uh lately maybe not so much for what it's worth the jets and the eagles were both two of those games i almost included you're you're on the same side of those as as i am and uh i i hate to end by uh harshing your uh, your your buzz on uh complaining about the, the the three coin flips that you lost and you did they were total coin flips i'll just throw in also you won one coin flip with the eagles yes, covering for you I by did. half a point so you were you were three. one in three on coin flips last week yes 
Okay. <laughs> and that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Cam McMillan. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, so one thing I tell young people is, look, focus on what you enjoy, not what you think others expect you to enjoy. So I've been in the same fantasy baseball league for 37 years. I've never played or even had any interest in fantasy football. I've never been on Facebook or on Instagram, but I love being on Twitter for a dozen years. You know, that's just me. You do you. Uh, and then there's sports betting. It takes a certain amount of discipline and thick skin to make it rewarding, both financially and emotionally. Well, on Sunday, I figured, what the heck, I'll make modest wagers on all nine early games. Things went really, really well. I mean, seven, one, and one. Kind of a weird uh, push with the Falcons. Matt Ryan scored a touchdown, or he thought he did, and then he taunted a guy, and then he didn't get in, uh, whatever. So, so seven, one, and one is great. So now I have to try all five later window games, right? And a couple of those are in trouble early, and a couple look really good, and the dust settled, and I'm 0-5, and I'm 7-6-1 and 1 for the day. So virtually exact break-even scenario. So how do you feel? I mean, somebody is going to say, yeah, it was exciting. I had a great early time, disappointing late, but, uh, you know, kind of an adrenaline-filled day, and I came out even. That's good. Me, I'm I'm mad. I mean, and I recognize that I skipped the not only the Sunday night games, but also Monday night. Now it just mean I didn't bet those games. I didn't even watch either one of them. I mean, this whole process took a lot out of me, and it, it taught me, you know, as did my frustration with the fading fast five pick season. I just don't have what it takes to be a real gambler, even if I was really good at it. I suspect so. And with that, for the first time in 2022, I say, gamble on. <laughs>